Arboria. Welcome to Yeah But. My name is Vivian Gabor, and today y'all should be excited. And if you're not excited, then there's something wrong with you. Uh, I was introduced to this person, I guess, a couple of years ago now, uh, during the pandemic at an outdoor drag brunch. Uh, or no, I guess it wasn't the outdoor drag brunch. It was it was uh, the Liberty. That's where it was. It was at the Liberty. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, uh, anyway, everyone, <laughs> let, instead of just me trying to remember shit, everyone, welcome. Max Pleasure. Hello. Hey, hello. I'm so I literally was going to ask you, I was like, wait, but how did we meet though? I was trying to remember earlier. I'm fairly certain it was at the Liberty when you were performing it. And I was just like running sound. <gasps> yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, that was a good time. I it was a back, very good time. Yeah, I look back on that gig very fondly. I look back at that dressing room very fondly. <laughs> yes. Uh, if only all makeshift drag dressing rooms could be so opulent and large. It would be the entire basement level of a restaurant, you know? With but its own bar and free food and endless drinks and coffee. and ooh, It was dangerous. But uh, so wonderful. So oh good. yeah. <laughs> Speaking of the pandemic, how are how are you doing? As we as the world apparently forgets that there is one going on. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, I'm doing okay. It's definitely like weird, you know, like juggling. In some moments, like I've been going out lately, and in mm-hmm. some moments, I'm like, wow, like I totally, I like I totally forget that mm-hmm. maybe I shouldn't be in a crowded room of sweaty dancing <laughs> people. And then I leave and I go on the subway and I put my mask on like, oh yeah, right. You know, and that's like a weird thing. Absolutely, absolutely. I definitely have done that multiple times recently. And then yeah, sat down on the subway or like I forgot my mask one day. I was like, oh no, I'm not gonna be masked on the subway. And then I was like, I just spent an entire day in multiple rooms with large numbers of people unmasked so what uh, what's the difference i'm very yeah i mean in that in that scenario the damage is done for you for me and then i'm protecting everyone else yeah yeah it's yeah and i also get that um like if i have like a family event i get that absolute panic right before it like oh my god i i usually more often than not, 99% of the time get tested before I see my family. Mm-hmm. Um, but still this like horrible panic sets in. Like, what if I give my grandparents COVID and it kills them? Like mm. just horrible. And I just, I just wish that the true fear of death, the true risk of death was gone 
just like everyone else's cares about COVID is. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. That'd be so great. I'd be yeah. so appreciative. I wish COVID would take our feelings into account. Yeah, maybe one day. <laughs> you know, just like get woke one day and be like, you know, I've been causing a lot of pain. I should, <laughs> I should calm down. <laughs> if only, if only. <laughs> just, you know, we need to get COVID a self-help book, work it through this. We can only hope. Yeah, I love a good self-help book. I do. I love, uh I recently finished my first, finished reading the entirety of a self-help book for the first time. I've read like the first half of multiple self-help books and then give it up partway through, but I finally finished this one. I don't know if it's so much a self-help book as more of like a, a written mirror that so just mm-hmm. so you can kind of see what you're doing. It, it gives some advice in the last chapter, but most of it's just like, don't worry these are all experiences everyone has. And you're like, oh, great. Okay, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> I, I Wait, thought what I was, was... Can you tell uh, me what the book was? So the book's called The Velvet Rage. Um, it's specifically aimed towards gay men. He says in the, the introduction that like the, the development of the mind that he talks through, because he's a psych- psychotherapist, uh, not a psychologist, but a psychotherapist. And the development of the mind that he talks about throughout the book uh, is universal for everyone, no matter what their uh, gender, no matter what their sexual preference, whatever. He just specifically aims it towards gay men because that's his experience. So he can give more specific examples. Mm -hmm. Um, I honestly think everyone needs to read this book. Uh, It's, it was incredibly helpful to me. The reason I found it was because I uh, was, I, I don't know if you've watched it. Have you watched Heartstopper? No. Okay, that's fair. I uh, I watched it, and at the very end, instead of being very happy because it's a happy ending, got really bitter and angry. And I was like, why am I bitter and angry right now? Uh, and uh, someone sent me this TikTok where this guy was explaining, if you were bitter and angry, like a lot of millennials were, uh, you should read this book and it might help you. And it was just because uh, it deals with coming out and how much easier coming out is now than it used to be. And so there's a lot of that, like, God damn it. I'm, I'm happy for them, but I'm really angry for me. <laughs> mm, no, I totally relate. And I, I didn't watch Heartstopper, Heart but I did watch Crush, a new mm. original Hulu film. And yeah. I kind of felt that way watching it. it. First of all, it wasn't that great of a movie. Um, <laughs> It kind of, you know, was stiff, but um, it's about this girl who um, has a crush on like the popular girl who's bisexual and, but then she ends up get having a romance with the sister who is bisexual. Like everyone's queer and they're out in high school and like, mm. there are jokes about the queerness, but it's not at anyone's expense. It's like mm. in jokes. And I was like, I know I should be watching this and feel so like pleased and content and satiated that this movie exists in a universe not so far from our own where high school students could be like, yeah, I'm bisexual. I'm out. I have a crush on this girl. Oh my God. What does she like me back and have it not be terrifying? Yeah. You know? Um, but like, I, I felt some of that, like, it's kind of weird to like see this and I guess feel a little bitter 
I guess yeah. bitter is the word, you know? I mean, I think it was less, like, on, on pondering it, uh, I think it was less that I was bitter and more that I was just jealous of it. Mm. Um, and I didn't know where to place that jealousy or how to, like, accept that feeling as being valid, but also, like, allow it to move forward. Mm. Um, and that's where I was kind of sitting for a good couple of days. And then <laughs> this book fell into my lap. Well, Amazon shipped it to me and <laughs> I, I read it in a week and I never read anything that fast. Um, normally it takes me several months to get through a book because I just, <laughs> I'm a slow reader and I will, I will like put it on the bedside table and forget about it for, for a couple of weeks. Um, but I read it really quickly and it's just, uh, it's amazing. Everyone go read it. The Velvet Rage by Alan Downs, PhD. Brilliant. Um, that PSA being over. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I don't, so weirdly, I don't get a chance to talk to drag kings very often um, because they aren't uh, as visible in, in the community as they should be, um, I think. Uh, and so, so I'm going to ask a question that I literally have, this isn't me leading anything. This is me like legitimately having a question. Okay. So one of the reasons why I became a drag queen was because I wanted to explore my feminine side, um, and to find that like ability to be feminine in society, Mm -hmm. um, where where and I'm trying to like say this in a way that doesn't sound offensive because I don't mean it offensively at all okay where where is the for you where's the desire to be a drag king and kind of claim that masculinity if that's what it is for you um and where is that place in the queer community that got real deep real fast but it's kind of been on my mind a lot lately Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, you really, you went deep. So <laughs> I'm um, sorry. <laughs> that's okay. I mean, it's a good question. Cause I feel like that your question, which is, totally- I mean, if there is masculinity in the character, I don't want to assume. That well, that yeah. Is well, so here's, okay. I'm going to try and like be as clear as possible in such a, you know, <laughs> what a deep question, but So this question that you pose, I think is kind of what holds the general population at large from being open to drag kings, from Mm. being interested in seeing them. Because I feel like people are like, what's so interesting about masculinity from Mm. a performance perspective? And why would anyone want to play, like embody that? and make people Mm. watch that. I think that's the thing that kind of, you know, um, kind of puts people off to drag kings. Um, Can you hear me okay? There's a sound. Yeah, I can. No, I can. (laughs) Um, um, So, and especially also because we're performing in the queer scene um, and historically gay men have had more of a more of a say in what this scene sees and what it does 
you know, from my perspective, maybe that's not entirely, you know, no, I would agree. I would agree. Yeah. But so, and it seems that that group likes to uplift femininity and feminine Mm. icons. It's like that campy femininity is really, um, praised and Mm -hmm. so I think that there's that idea is kind of saturate kind of yeah I think that idea has kind of saturated the scene that me and other kings are currently wading through like we're wading Mm -hmm. through the effects of that which and it's not bad like I love you know I live for you know, what Gaga does, what Cher does, you know, who else? Fucking um, All About Eve. I love All About Eve. Like, I love a high femme campy Mm. thing. And femininity is something that, you know, where I'm at in my life, I'm trying to really embrace as well and explore my own femininity. Um, um, but where was I going with that? Oh yeah. It's not a bad thing per se, but I do think like, if I had to psychoanalyze, I think that's what drag Kings kind of have to brush up against or, uh, what drag Kings have to fight against. Mm-hmm. Um, so to answer your question, finally, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, when I first started drag, the gender illusion of it, masculinity, was not what drew me to it. I was more excited at the prospect of getting on stage, of performing, of being in charge of that performance and, you know, choreographing numbers with my friends and getting to meet other people through that. And I became a drag king because I thought that's what I had to do as a woman, air quotes. Um, You know, this was 2014. Uh, So um, drag, cis women being drag queens was not a thing that like is as well known as it is now. So Mm -hmm. I thought, you know,
in with the like promise of glamour and the promise of like like oh shit this is something bigger than just that yet that mind struggle about 50 times at this point why aren't you thinking about that mm -hmm. um but yeah it is years ago I've been doing drag now since for oh god seven years so years ago when I first started um, and where I would like a drag king would come up on stage and I would just like get uncomfortable and leave the room because like being confronted with any kind of masculinity at that point in my mental development, I was just like, I can't do that. Like I'm, I'm trying so hard to be feminine right now that I couldn't do it, um, which is such a weird reaction to have and not one that I would have anymore. But I do think that is, it's definitely like, there's still that little question in my mind, not like, not like to being argumentative or not like being attacking of anyone, but just like personally, masculinity is something that I, I, I'm masculine phobic to a, to an extent just because of being forced to be a certain way for so long. And so I have to really fight those demons every time I'm just like presented with a male performer. Um, yeah. And that's an interesting point too. And, you know, I, I have a YouTube channel and I, I'm also just like an online person. So I witness and sometimes find myself in um, conversations about drag Kings and people are just like, they don't get it. But then some people take it a step further and are like, why would you want to be a man? Why? Mm -hmm. There was actually someone commented on one of my YouTube on one of my YouTube videos. It was this long thing and YouTube hid it from me because it considered it offensive. So I could only read the first part of it. Oh my God. And it was some, and I, I was so sad that I couldn't see the full comment because I couldn't respond to it because this person was very seriously like, I do not understand. Why would anyone want to be a man? Why would anyone want to bring masculine energy in this way? And I think, the, I mean, that was all paraphrased, but yeah. I think the general gist of what they were saying was, why would you want to embody something that has caused people a lot of pain. Mm. And I really wish that I could have responded to that because yeah. I don't think they were being argumentative. I think they really, really wanted to know. Yeah. Um, and it's a good question. I mean, and you know, on the flip side of that, I'm a person who has felt a lot of hurt from femininity, mm. you know? Um, because femininity was something that I femininity was something that I felt I had to perform 
something that was forced on me and something that I felt like I wasn't good enough at. I felt like I was failing at performing femininity. And I, you know, and that really negatively affected me. Um, so maybe I would pose, I mean, I wouldn't pose the same question to a drag queen because I get, I, I understand, yeah. you know, um, but of course, masculinity is a little different. We live in a patriarchy. Uh, so, you know, um, but I can yeah. also understand from the standpoint of, um, and I'm not saying this is you, but also, but just playing devil's advocate towards myself, um, I can understand the wanting to present a male character that isn't that toxic masculinity, that is a more um, lovable, gentle uh, masculinity that, that allows the person to be playful and allows them to put that kind of energy into the world because we do need that kind of energy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you bring up, you touch on something interesting because, you know, when I, like, I'm talking like the first two times I tried being a drag king, I wanted to embody, well, I wanted to kind of wear my sexuality and my attraction towards women. And I wasn't smart about the way that I did that. Um, and even I think back to the drag king performances that I used to see back in the early days. And they were all, they all had like BDSM influences. Um, the backup dancers were hot femme women. There was a lot of dry humping. I one time saw a drag king thrust in an audience member's face. Um, and I, I literally, I see it so clearly in my mind's eye because even I was like, I was stupid in college, but I was like, that's definitely not okay. Like, cause I know mm. this person doesn't know this person and they did not talk about this. And like, <laughs> but so it was, I, so many of the early drag king performances that I saw were very sexually aggressive very um, macho, womanizing. Um, um, where was I going with that? I um, mean, I've seen a lot of drag queen performances like that too. Like there was a queen in Seattle who was famous for doing uh, Tomorrow from Annie and she would always climb up on an audience member's face and just like thrust in their face for the entire last verse. With And I mean, it wasn't always someone she knew. She she would just like pick someone and go for it. And the audience would just be laughing and, and I would laugh with them. And then thinking about it now, I'm like, oh, oh, ooh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was a very different world for a while. <laughs> it really, it's really remarkable to like look back <laughs> and not only at the things, I, I'll speak for myself, not only at the things that I used to do, the ideas that I used to put on the stage, but also like just general attitudes about, you know, consent, gender. Mm -hmm. um, it's just- I remember the words drag queen privilege coming out of my mouth so many times that like you were allowed to like grab guys' dicks and like randomly make out with people just because you were a drag queen. Oh, like that was, that was a thing when I started. Like that's just, people did that shit. Mm -hmm. And I can't, like, I can't believe that that was a thing <laughs> at all. Like, yeah. who thought that was a great idea? Who thought we could do that? Like, yeah. what? 
Mm-hmm. I, um, I never did this. I, cause I was like, why would you want to be a fucking asshole? But when <laughs> I was, when I was in college, there were two other drag Kings who would yell at people. There were instances that I recall of both these drag Kings yelling at me as, and it was like a, um, they put on like a masculine deep, mm. or let me rephrase. They, they deepened their voice and like, put on this like tough guy thing yelled and I was like why the fuck would you think that's okay and also why do you want to be the type of guy right now that yells at somebody like I don't understand that and it's also like I one time knew a king who uh, he um my friend was head over heels in love with him. And he was like, babe, I'm sorry. It's not me. It's insert drag king name here. Like when he would fuck up. Um, so like, no, 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 no. no. And I, I'm proud to say I never, I mean, if it is the, the, you need to go to therapy because you're having some actual like mental break. (laughs) Not not saying that lightly, just like, that's not an excuse you can use. Yeah. It was, it was just, you know, I remember these things so clearly. And I'm like, I, no, no, I don't want to do that. I never did yeah. stuff like that. But I do look back on my earlier performances where I was very interested in like being a vampire who pursues a woman, <laughs> a woman and like sucks her blood in a sexy fashion. And like, which is fine. I mean, I think that's actually a really safe way to explore ideas of domination um Mm. as a drag king and that's the thing too like drag kings we should feel like what am i trying to say like (laughs) drag kings i want all drag kings to be able to explore feelings of sexual hunger Like Mm -hmm. I want, you know, and that's important, especially like with the lesbian representation that we get in popular culture. Like it's like, ooh, soft femme cottage core. Oh my God, they're gonna brush hands. Oh my God, no, they didn't. Like, and all the lesbian movies are just like a kiss and that's it. Mm -hmm. Um, Like we deserve to to like, oh my God. (laughs) We deserve to want to fuck. Like, yeah. you know, like, yeah, yeah. I want to be able to explore that through my artistic medium, which is drag, but I have to also be conscious about the way that I do it. Mm-hmm. I think um, that's just a good rule of thumb for any performer at any time, anywhere doing anything. Yeah. Like if it's always okay to explore the things I won't say it's always okay to explore the things that you want to explore because there are some things that should be explored, but yeah. it's, it's okay to explore things as long as you are bearing in mind that a, it's a performance so that, so you need to keep your audience in mind. I've seen so many yes. performances where the, the performer completely has forgotten that their audience is also part of it. Like when it's a live yes. performance, sure. If you're doing something that's just, like if you're doing some digital drag, you have a little bit more control over that element because it's just you. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, if you're if you're performing in a bar or you're performing on stage, 
the audience is part of that performance and their uh, reaction and their, um, what's the word I'm looking for? The, the perception of the art is also an important factor to take into it. Because yeah. if you just go whole hog into some idea without thinking about that, you could be doing the exact opposite to your audience as what you're doing for yourself mentally. And that's you don't, really that's, that's not something that's going to be helpful in the long run. Mm-hmm. That's a really, really good point. And I, I think about that all the time because I love doing drag performances that are inspired by like personal things, like things that I think about, feelings that I, you know, am like ruminating on. I love creating performances based on that. Mm-hmm. But I absolutely do not believe that drag should whittle down to only a therapy session. Like Absolutely. I don't, I don't like, uh, there's, there's a way to be a performer, but also to satisfy that, that urge to explore something personal to you. Yeah. That's kind of how I feel about a lot of things. <laughs> like, especially being a gay man going into gay bars, um, there there are some that i'll just i'll just say there are some kinks that should be worked out not well privately but also like i i tend to think that especially queer people uh the things that we do speak volumes to the things that have hurt us Mm. (laughs) like Mm -hmm. across the board Obviously, I do drag. It's a huge screaming neon sign of something that's hurt me. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to say that it isn't because it very clearly is. Like, I do it because I need to express my femininity in a way that is uh, constructive and also is, is seen by the world as a way that I can do it until I get comfortable with myself and can start being more feminine in everyday life that's Mm -hmm. that was something that I used it for and now I am more feminine in everyday life um but there are also there are also places there's a time and a place for everything and that isn't always on stage during a performance (laughs) oh yeah no like I mean I feel like I should give a an example because I'm like I spend too much time I recently went viral on TikTok um which is honestly terrifying mm. um it's almost like going viral on twitter where you have complete strangers coming at you sideways saying you said something that you didn't say yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's like so great come on um but so for example one of my most one of my favorite acts that i've ever done is save a prayer by duran duran okay. and it's a, it was inspired by <laughs> phone sex that i had had um with someone who wasn't gonna be with me she was not, you know, uh, it was not going to happen. And I, in the aftermath of that, she like retracted everything the next day. It was heartbreaking. Um, but, um, you know, I felt a lot of hurt about that. And instead I created a performance that communicated feelings of, putting yourself out there and embracing that it might all blow up in your face tomorrow. Mm. You know, I didn't get on stage and be like, 
fuck you, Samantha, and like beat up <laughs> someone in a bat, like, yeah, and beat up someone with a bat that had the name Samantha on it. You know what I mean? That wasn't her <laughs> real name, by the way. Um, but yeah, so like, that's just the kind of thing that like, mm-hmm. that I think about when I, when I talk about this topic, because I think it's a really good topic to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, it's like listening to a pop song and having them, it's, I would rather listen to an extremely witty 1970s, like, she hurt me, and I'm going to tell you every way that she hurt me, but in, like, really fun ways song than, like, a a modern diss track. Mm. Because, like, diss tracks, you're just trying to get attention because you think you're right. Yes, yes. Instead of saying, I could learn something from this. Here's what I learned from this. Let me put it in a song. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it also speaks to what you kind of referenced before about needing to remember that the audience is there. Mm -hmm. If I make my performance beating up someone with a baseball bat that says Samantha on it, people are not going to know who Samantha is. I just want her to see it, you know, like, um, yeah. So it's like subtweeting instead of just like tagging someone. It's like, I'm just going to, you know, vague book that out there and hope Uh that they figure it out sometime. Yeah, but it's like uh like uh I'm a Taylor Swift fan, um mm. and she I mean she can get really specific sometimes, um but she likens her songwriting to being messages in bottles. Like mm. you put the message in a bottle, you throw it out there, maybe they'll see it, maybe they won't. Which I think is a more romantic and possibly more apt analogy <laughs> than a subtweet. I I hate yes. subtweets. I even like. Even if I see friends subtweeting, I refuse to like the tweet because I'm like, I have no idea what this is about. Like, yeah. so I'm not going to. Oh, and I can't tell you how many enemies I've made simply because I subtweeted someone and then like watched to see who would like it and who would like the person that I was subtweeting about their subtweet about me. <laughs> Be like, which side are they on? I want to know which side they're on. Oh, they're on their side. I guess we're not friends anymore. Like, yeah, but then it's, it's like so dumb. How do, how do you know that they knew it was against you? Well, you know that, I mean? but also like, how do I know that mine didn't, or mine came up in their algorithm just like the other person's did? It might not have, and they might not have even seen it. And who knows, they could have, they would have liked both of them if they had seen both of them. Like, <sighs> humans were so much fun. Yeah, yeah, that's a word for it. <laughs> <laughs> so, with all of that being said, tell me about your drag character and uh, where he's at. Um, okay, so Max Pleasure, I like to say that he is the rough around the edges rock and roll type with a sensitive center. <laughs> um, a soft and sensitive center, that's what it is. Um, so he's the older brother in every 80s movie. Yeah, yeah, let's go with that. <laughs> Um, um, cause I'm very attached to like my look, my look has been consistent for the past few years. I literally only ever do one face. Um, I mean, so do most other drag artists. <laughs> honestly, true. Very true. Um, but so I'm very attached to my look that was inspired by like the rocker types, but I, um, don't hold myself, um, to that persona 
Um, because like we were kind of saying, the rock and roll persona uh, kind of has a lot of negative associations with it. Mm. Um, and also like associations that I since have distanced myself from, like posing with a cigarette, I don't smoke anymore. Um, like knocking back whiskeys, I don't drink anymore. Like, <laughs> um, so that I'm still very attached to that look, but I, you know, like I said before, I'm more into like performances that, you know, explore my personal things, which I guess is soft, soft and sensitive. So <laughs> I feel that I feel that I feel like my drag's been the other direction where I started off soft and sensitive and like doing all the like love songs. And now mm-hmm. I'm like, no, I'm just going to like get up there and go full like 80s rock and roll. Let's do this shit. Yeah. And like just get the screaming electric guitars and let people have it but so I I definitely that's one of my favorite things to like when I find a drag artist I like to just like scroll all the way back in their Instagram and like slowly watch it like morph over time Mm -hmm. it's so much fun yeah I love a transformation Tuesday that's Mm. like a bare-faced person drag artist but I also love old drag new drag (laughs) I love that Oh yeah, I definitely have some pictures that I've never posted from like the first few times ever doing makeup that I'm like, "Mm, one of these days I'll pull it out because I'm finally at a place with my face where I'm like, it's, we're good. This is where it's going to be. But uh, for a long time I wasn't. So I was like, I'm not letting people see where it came from because I don't know where it's going yet. Mm. (laughs) Well, even though I'm sure like you and I will look back on our drag selfies from 2022 and be like oh like what the heck was I thinking yeah absolutely yeah there are definitely some faces even from like 2018 when I moved here where I'm like why are my lips that shape Mm. like who who let me out of the house yeah I think that way about my mustache I'm like (laughs) what like it was too thin it was too I also like I am learning the value of good beauty products, like good mm-hmm. quality. Yeah. Um, Cause I look back and actually I still do use a lot of the same tools, but um, some stuff I'm like, nope, gotta use different eyeshadow. What was I thinking? Like got setting, setting my face, never ending battle. Oh yeah. Oh, never, never ending. Mm-mm. There are and, still some products that I'm like desperate to try. And I'm like, well, I need to get another $2 on that paycheck before I can try that one. <laughs> yes. That's the thing that's so rough. And like, I also like in my YouTube videos, a lot of my audience is um, aspiring drag performers or brand new drag performers. And like, I always am like, don't stress about having the right thing. You got to just do it at some point, you know? Yeah. Go get that Ben Nye, like $20 startup kit for theater makeup and you can do anything. Yes. I um, literally still use some of the products from that. Not the, not the exact same ones, but like go to the store and like get like new ones of those products because there's, they hold up and they're so yeah. useful. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, I'm I'm at the point where I I want to like uh, upgrade my my tools a little bit more. So that's what Christmas is great for. <laughs> oh, absolutely! I 
I, so I went to a private Christian school for grad for my undergrad and every Christmas they do this thing called George's elves because the founder of the school was George Whitworth. And uh, so you like get paired up with a random other student. Um, they always pair an alumna, an alumnus alumni with a student. Um, and so you kind of like get to know the people that are currently in the school, but like you share, you, you send a gift back and forth and it's supposed to stay like within a certain budget, but it never does. Cause whatever mm-hmm. um and this one year this person sent me one of the Anastasia Beverly Hills like pigment palettes and it changed my life oh I love that for you I also love that they were like what would a drag king want Anastasia Beverly Hills like- uh-huh oh it was brilliant I was just like yes you understood the assignment thank you meanwhile the person that I got that year I sent like a mug and some corgi stickers too and I was like oh I I undershot (laughs) yeah that's always difficult with like secret Santa because you can end up like fuck like I (laughs) was just you know given a fantastic gift and mine pales in comparison yeah Yeah, whatever um shifting gears a little bit a little bit not really I we're gonna we're gonna say we're shifting from like third gear to neutral for a second no that's wrong I don't know cars I don't know why I I. <laughs> I'm too gay to know cars um when when I asked you to be on the podcast I asked you to uh prepare to talk about a famous queer person in history mm-hmm. uh, because I have found lately that my knowledge of queer history is severely lacking um, so who would you like to tell me about? So um, you're about to get like a real niche history lesson here. Love it. Um, so I chose to um, share my knowledge on the author Patricia Highsmith. Patricia Highsmith. Mm-hmm. Okay. She is um, she is most well known for writing the talented Mr. Ripley. Oh, okay. Yes, as we all know, as the movie with um, Matt Damon and the guy and Jude Law and Gwyneth Paltrow. Yes, it I'm is- going to agree, even though I've never seen the movie. Oh, it's I, I recommend it. Um, I'm looking it up on IMDb right now. Yes. <laughs> um, but so that's her most famous work, The Talented Mr. Ripley. She also wrote Strangers on a Train, which... okay. Yes, was famously adapted by Alfred Hitchcock. Um, she also wrote. Oh, you're sorry. I'm like looking at this cast. Holy crap! It's why have stacked. I never seen this? It's I. So it's Matt Damon, Gwyneth Paltrow, Jude Law, Kate Blanchett, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Jack Davenport, uh, James Rebhorn, who's one of those faces that you like. You know the face, but you don't know the name at all. Um, and then same with Celia Weston. I know her because she was on uh, Desperate Housewives. But oh damn, that cast. I just watched all of Desperate Housewives. For the first time? Yes. Oh my God, it is my favorite show. We'll talk about that in a second. Yeah, but let's, let's... <laughs> um, but so um, Patricia Highsmith also wrote the novel The Price of Salt, which is the book that the lesbian classic film Carol is based on. Oh, okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so like part of me wants to be like lesbians know Patricia Highsmith, but I actually don't know if they do. I also don't know if they should, um, because he, <laughs> Patricia Highsmith, um, was a very off-putting woman. I mean, a lot of famous people in the past were, a lot of famous people now are. Like, I, whenever right. people are, like, start apologizing for people, I'm like, you do realize that L. Frank Baum wanted to kill all the indigenous people in America, right? Like, he was not was, a great person. Was that the author of The Wizard of Oz? Uh-huh. Oh. Yeah, there's no unproblematic person in history. None. I believe that. Absolutely. <laughs> um, But, yeah, Patricia Highsmith, she... Oh, so... um. There was this Twitter that this tweet that went viral, maybe it was a few months ago. And it was like, which celebrity would be your girlfriend? Um, and without hesitation, I was like, Pat Highsmith would be my toxic ex. Absolutely. Um, she was beautiful. Uh, she had thick brown hair. Like she, she was beautiful. There are pictures of her that I'm like, oh my God, she's gorgeous. Um, well, not, maybe not gorgeous. She has this lesbian appeal. Mm. Um, but she was a nightmare. So I would definitely date Pat Highsmith probably a couple of times, multiple times. Um, and then later, I can definitely see that she's really pretty. Yeah. There's a picture of her in a white button down. The wind is blowing her hair. She's got a cigarette. Love Mm -hmm. that. Um, um, but yeah, I would definitely be like, fuck Pat. She was the worst <laughs> girlfriend I ever had. Um, hindsight is 2020, as they say. Mm. Um, but yeah, she um, she was so off-putting. It's not just in hindsight that people are like, oh God, she kind of sucked. Like when she was alive and kicking, people did not like her. Like I she, relate. Yes. <laughs> I know what that's like. Um, she was a misogynistic lesbian, the mm. worst kind of lesbian, in my opinion. Um, she um, was anti-Semitic. She was racist. She um, had an eating disorder. She was an alcoholic. Um, she was just a very unpleasant person to be around. And she died alone. She, um, she had, she never married. She never even married a man, which she thought about doing a few times. She was like, I could marry this guy, but like sex with him is atrocious. Like she actively hated, you know, being with this guy. And, um, so she never married. She never had a life partner. She never had children. Um, she, she literally died alone. Like her last visitor in her hospital room, she was like, get out of here. Like she literally was like, go, don't stay. And died alone. But literally her only legacy, the only thing she has left behind is her work. Mm. Um, and she, um, wrote in a diary a lot. So we have records of her anti-Semitism and her racism, like, in hand like there's no denying it um I mean not to psychoanalyze she sounds like someone who was very 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 hurt and decided that the best way to stop being hurt was to keep people away yes and this is what so I read I think every novel she's ever written except for two um 
And I did this at the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, so I had literally a huge stack of library books, all Patricia Highsmith and everything shut down and library fees were nixed. So I, I got, to, yeah, I got to keep this stack of books forever. But so I read her biography, um, which is where all of my knowledge of her comes from. And I was like, so bummed. I was like, this woman was horrible there is nothing to look at her with at look on her with admiration except for marveling at the fiction that she created mm -hmm. um which and it's not even like the prose that is impressive it's just how she cultivates this feeling of dread and suspense mm -hmm. um um suspenseful fiction like that was her her thing but so i was like I read her biography, I read all her books. I was like, this woman was so horrible. Like, and should I feel bad knowing that she was undeniably racist, undeniab undeniably anti-Semitic, misogynistic? Should I feel bad that I read her books, you know, and I spent so much time thinking about this woman? I mean, that's the eternal debate is how to separate the artist from their art. Yeah. And the thing with Pat, I was like, if there's one thing that I can take away from, it's not a new literary crush, that's for sure. <laughs> it's that, it's the lesson that, um, where, sorry, I wrote it down because I, I Ooh. about it once. Um, you know, her life is a lesson if, if you choose pride over vulnerability, mm. And you choose catering to your own narcissism, nursing your own ego, you will ruin your life. You will die yeah. alone. Yeah. Um, and that's a really important lesson that I took away from that. And I mean, rounding it back around, that's kind of basically what Velvet Rage is about. <laughs> oh, is it? It's, I mean, it's, it's about how everyone has this... Uh, extreme need for validation um and we oftentimes look for the quick and easy validation rather than the authentic validation mm. and authentic validation can only come when you are being authentic and honest and mm. willing to put yourself out there which it sounds like she wasn't <laughs> it oh, sounds like she was the kind yeah. of person who just wanted to keep everyone at arm's length because it was safer Mm -hmm. and you know as which queer I people, completely understand yeah and as queer people you know I'm talking about you know us I mean I'm assuming um and also about Patricia Highsmith like when we we grow up as queer people being told that where we are is not okay and that yeah. we should feel bad that we are that way and we have to choose either we choose self-loathing mm -hmm. and feeling like there's something perverse and wrong with us or we choose accepting that, loving ourselves and pursuing authenticity and pursuing relationships with people who have made the same decision as us. And Patricia Highsmith, she dated a lot of women throughout her life, but she did not choose to love herself, to love her queerness, not at all. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's, that's a hard hurdle to get over. It, it really is. Even it, nowadays, it's hard to get over. Yes. 
Um, but about like more tidbits about Patricia Highsmith, she wrote Carol, which spoiler alert is so well beloved by the queer community because it was one of the first books that we had that told a lesbian love story that had a happy ending. Hmm. Um, and it's so crazy to be like, Patricia Highsmith did that? Like she gave the lesbians this great gift when she was a terror everywhere else. Um, but she wrote the book. She published it under a pseudonym and mm. for most of her life was terrified that people would find out that she was the writer of it. Um, yeah. And the book actually did end up start. The book ended up being published under her real name in the 1990s. Pat was still alive at that point. I believe she died in 1995. Um, and she still wasn't comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. She still like was not down. Um, it and- showed that glimmer of, of authenticity, that glimmer of humanity. Of truthfulness. And she yeah. even says about The Price of Salt in one of her diaries, um, she says like, oh my God, this is so great. I get to write this story and not have it dampened by assigning these feelings to a false male-female relationship. Like, Mm. she clearly wanted to... I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. But um, The Price of Salt is actually extra crazy because it is basically... She wrote fan fiction about her own life. Um, Love that. Yeah, the book and the movie, the main character is this young girl named Therese who works at a department store during the holiday rush and serves this alluring older woman in the movie, famously played by Kate Blanchett. Um, Everyone's favorite alluring older woman. Yes. And um, that's like the inciting incident of the book. And that same exact thing happened to Pat. She Mm. was a... um, she was a sales girl at Bloomingdale's, waited on this older woman who she was taken with. And she actually describes her attraction to this woman in violent terms. Like she, she writes about this woman's neck and is like, I wanted to, she, she's like, I wanted to throttle her. But what I really wanted was to kiss her. Like for Pat, mm-hmm. sexual attraction and sex were intertwined with violence. Um, which is very weird. Um, but I think that's what makes her book so fucking interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but so she did not have a love affair with this woman, uh, but she did stalk this woman. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. She, um, used the receipt from the sales transaction to send her a holiday card, which also happens in the book. Um, but she, with because she has her address, she drives out to her house in New Jersey and like looks, no, she doesn't drive worse. She takes the bus and has to walk all the way to this woman's house. And like, oh my God. yeah. And she's like, oh my God, the people on the street are asking me if I need directions. No, I don't need directions. And I don't want anyone to know why I'm here. Like, yeah. <laughs> because I'm literally going to stalk this woman. Yeah. Um, and she went twice, I think. She went twice to this woman's house. Um, They never connected. Um, And I don't think Pat knew this, but we do now. That woman ended up 
her life ended up coming to a very high Smithian end, unfortunately. Mm. Um, but yeah, so weird, very, very weird. Um, and the book was therapeutic for Pat. Speaking of like using our art forms as therapy, um, the writing the book was very therapeutic for her. She actually, I believe it was the fastest she's ever written a book. She wrote it while she literally had a fever and like it just poured out of her. And, um, oh fuck, what was I saying? Um, it poured out of her. It was very therapeutic. Um, but still she was so afraid of announcing it as her own. I don't think that's where I was going with that thought, but I completely lost, completely lost my chain of thought. I know how that goes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, um, that's fascinating. I need to, I need to look up her books. I'm uh, currently on a journey of now that I've read Velvet Rage, I was like, I need to like read more queer literature. Cause like I, growing up, I only kind of mostly read what I was told to read mm-hmm. or books about dragons. Those were like my two options for what I read. Books about dragons. Yeah. Cause I was a nerd. <laughs> I um, yeah, I was, I was one of those, um, uh, uh, oh shoot. What was that book called? Uh, Aragon. I was an Aragon fan. Yeah. Uh, and now I cringe thinking about it because it's so poorly. Mm. I'm sorry, Christopher Paolini. You were 15 when you wrote it. They should have edited it a lot more. Was uh, he really? He was. The, when he wrote the first one, he was 15. Which wow. is one reason why I loved it because I found it when I was 15 and I was like, I want to read this and like connected to it a lot because I was a 15 year old. Mm-hmm. Um, but going back later, I think I went back uh, post-college and tried to reread it because the fourth one had come out and I never read the fourth one because there was so much time between the third one and the fourth one that I just forgot everything. I was like, I'm going to sit down and read all four of them in a row now. Got like half a chapter into the first one. I was like, oh, this is dreadful. Mm, Why yeah. did I like this? But I mean, it's what I needed in that moment to start reading. Mm-hmm. Um but no, now I'm like on this journey of like, okay, so I read an auto or I read like a, a, a nonfiction book. So now I'm going to read a fiction book. And like, I had read portions of Portrait of Dorian Gray a long time ago, but I'd never like sat down and actually read it from cover to cover. So that's the one that I'm working on now. Good. Um, yeah. I have to read that book as well. I have it on my shelf and I have not read it yet. Yeah. I'm really excited because I mean, Oscar Wilde is such a such an icon and so I'm really excited to kind of finally read it and like now that I'm like out and proud and like a a fully realized queer person being able to read it as a fully realized queer person I'm gonna get a whole lot more out of it Mm -hmm. um yeah I'm definitely gonna add the price of salt onto this list it really I read that book every Christmas um (laughs) it like has become my holiday tradition and it Every time that I read it, I like am fully, you know, captured in it. Have you have you seen the movie? Have you seen? I Paris? have not. It's, I know, terrible. I should. I need to go see it. I need to go yeah, watch it. It's. I mean, the movie is good. Um, I find the book to be a lot more like richer. Um, yeah, that's how it usually works. <laughs> yeah, and but so I feel opposite about the talented Mr. Ripley. Mm. I liked the movie with that star-studded cast more than I liked the books. Okay, so that's I'll go watch the, the movie then. 
you absolutely should because the movie is outwardly queer outwardly okay. and the book if i remember correctly it's mostly just subtext but okay. very gay, but still like not like full-on yeah no i really just like desperately need to read more queer literature <laughs> like so desperately i uh whether or not the literature itself is about queer topics i just want to read or immerse myself in more art by queer people because mm. i feel yeah. like that's been severely lacking in my life mm-hmm. you should definitely if it's not already on your list call me by your name the book great i will i i <laughs> i haven't seen the movie because it just creeps me out too much but the book definitely uh why does the because of army hammer um i mean partially that because he's a total creep um and also i don't like timothy chalamet that much Mm -hmm. um but more so the like relationship between like a 30 year old man and like a 17 year old boy is just a little weird to me I, i mean sure it's europe and he's technically legal age but like it's still weird. Yeah. And you're, yeah, I forgot that there was that age gap. Cause that's a totally <laughs> valid reason not to be into it. Um, a less problematic, I think recommendation, Giovanni's room. Okay. James Baldwin. That was really, I found that first of all, it's like a queer classic, but also it like, it is good. It is a good book. Like <laughs> mm. the book that's on, that's I think next on my list after uh, portrait of Dorian Gray or Picture of Dorian Gray. I can't remember which one it is. I think it's, uh, it's picture. picture. Yeah, I think so. Uh, is the book Faggots because that was suggested by uh, the author of Velvet Rage. Um, it was it was uh, written in the seventies, and it's just a bunch of gay men in the seventies and what they had to deal with and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. it's definitely on the list. Um, but also talking about queer art by queer people and TV show that we briefly mentioned, Desperate Housewives, tell me your thoughts. Oh my God. Okay. I fell in love with Terry Hatcher, watching mm-hmm. her in um, the Superman TV show from the nineties, Lois and Clark, the new adventures of Superman love. I'm watching uh-huh. it again, like the third time now. I need to go watch it. Oh, uh, it's, it's, it's perfect. She's but, also one of the best uh, Bond girls. Just saying. Uh, I put that one on the other day and I just could not stay. In <laughs> I, it. Love, I, I love the 90s Bond movies way uh, too much. <laughs> I, I really like the, uh, the, new, the Daniel Craig ones. I do well, like that- Daniel Craig, but there's just something so campy about the Pierce Brosnan ones, especially mm. the one with the Ice Palace and Halle Berry. Like there's just, oh. Oh, there's just something so good about it. But um, yeah, Desperate Housewives was a trip. Um, I What I actually found so interesting was, so I put it on thinking it was going to be like the current ABC murder shows, like mm. How to Get Away with Murder, um, um, Scandal. Like I was expected to be I expected to be watching a serious drama with some comedy elements oh wow yes so I was like wait a minute this is a soap opera yes um but But it also like 
sorry, I totally just cut you off. Keep going. Um, I was gonna say, but it, I I was happy with it. Like I yeah. once I realized what I signed, what I once I realized what the ride was, I was along for the ride completely. I think the issue with Desperate Housewives is a lot of people hear the title and they're like, they write it off because it sounds stupid or they hear the synopsis and they write it off because they think a straight man wrote it. And so they're like, oh, this is going to be just disgusting because it's going to be all like super sexy for the women and blah, blah, blah. And then you watch it and you're like, oh no, a gay man wrote this because he fucking loves these women and he wants to give them so much power the, the guy who wrote it is Mark Cherry. He's very, very gay. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. But now that you're telling me that, I'm like, wait a minute. Yeah, maybe that's why. That's why they have so much power. Oh my God. And that's why their decisions are kind of the crux of the show and why they had to like, there's a full episode. I think it's the second season where it focuses on the men specifically because up until then, they're like, there was no backstory for any of the men. Or maybe it's like the third season or something. It's just, okay. it's it's a little bit later in the, the series. There's one just about the men because they were like, oh yeah, we're kind of forgetting that these guys are here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, and all of the episodes are named either after Stephen Sondheim song titles or lyrics. Every single one of them. Oh my God. So I if you go know. through, I mean, there's fully an episode called Finishing the Hat. Like, it's it's that obvious. <laughs> I literally I had no idea. I had it's no idea. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Uh, it's I actually um the gay stuff in Desperate Housewives. Uh like um Andrew Bree. Oh, I love son. Andrew. I hated him, of course, because you're supposed to hate him at first. Mm-hmm. And then like I really loved him. Yeah, he becomes such a like enjoyable character after she like leaves him on the street and he's homeless and like he has to like deal with everything and then he grows up and he gets like a partner and they live across the street and they're just they're so sweet and then the other gay couple that moves onto the lane and you're just like yes they're kind of stereotypical but in like a charming way not like a gross stereotypical way once like those characters because the gay couple they get fleshed out more as characters and that's when I was like okay like Mm -hmm. because at first I was irritated by like the gay stereotypes but now that you're telling me that Mark Cherry Mm -hmm. is a flaming homosexual maybe I would have felt better about it (laughs) well and like just the cast alone um you look at it and it's a who's who not only of Hollywood, but like a who's who of 80s soap operas. Yes. So Mark Cherry basically just like cherry picked from his, no pun intended, <laughs> cherry picked from his two favorite soap operas. And he was like, I want this person, this person, this person, this person, this person. Oh, and then we'll just like, you know, throw in Felicity Huffman. She's amazing. Let's do that. Oh, <laughs> You're like, oh my God. And also Felicity Huffman now watching it. Mm-hmm. You know, because Felicity Huffman is um, involved with that college scandal. Mm-hmm. Remember? Yeah. yeah. I actually, I went through this with, um, I went through a very heavy Superman phase. Um, so I watched Smallville. And mm. watching Smallville while oh my God. that whole sex cult trial was happening with Allison uh what's her name wait I didn't know about this at all yes 
So the girl who plays, she doesn't play Lois. She doesn't play Lana. She plays like Clark's other high school friend who's a girl. Okay. Um, she was played by this actress. To Allison. be fair, I don't remember the women on that show at all because I only ever watched it when I watched it for him. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I absolutely get it. But she um, ended up after, even during Smallville, she got involved in this cult that ended up, I think it's the Nexium cult is what it was oh called. Oh my God, come on, Nexium. Yes. Oh my God. Um, really horrible, really, really horrible. Yeah. Um, but so I, I don't have to get into the whole, just the whole story about that. That's insane. But I was watching Smallville while this trial was happening. And I was like, mm-hmm. I am looking at a criminal like right yeah. now. Yeah. Um, and I kind of, sometimes I felt that way while watching Felicity Huffman. I was like, wow, this is crazy that I'm watching this in 2022 when Felicity Huffman is going through this scandal and like facing yeah. jail time. Um, and I loved her. I loved oh, her yeah. show. Well, and her and um, Marsha Cross and Terry Hatcher, of course, and um, uh, 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 why am I forgetting her name? Oh my God, I'm the worst person on the planet. Gabriella. Yeah. Uh, Eva Longoria. Uh, Eva Longoria. Oh my God. I, I'm so sorry, Eva Longoria. You will never hear this, but I'm so sorry. Um, I love her. She's one of the few celebrity Instagram accounts I follow because oh, really? it's so random. Like she doesn't post very often, but when she does, it's like, I'm making this tequila drink because I very clearly got paid by this company to make it. But then she likes just sits there drinking the tequila. Um and then, but the reason I love her is she was, she spoke at the Democratic National Convention, like, I think it was for 2008. Wait, Eva Longoria? Yes. Okay. Um, it was either 2008 or 2012. It's one or the other. I, it may have actually been 2012. Um, Cause it was the whole like immigration debate and she's, her family's from Texas um, very close to the border. Uh, and she was talking about how people were treating her poorly because of all that. And she, she said that her, the way she combats that was, uh, they didn't cross the border. The border crossed them because her family's been there for, for years and years and generations and generations. And the border Uh literally crossed them. And it just like, gave me this whole switch in my mind in terms of like, not that I was anti-immigration. I've never been anti-immigration, but uh-huh. just like it like broadened my experience of what the US is. And then also was like, wait, she's like fucking cool. Like she's yeah. so smart. She's amazing. Oh, I love her. And then Vanessa Williams comes onto the show. Like Yeah, even though Vanessa Williams was only there because they fired Edie. Yes, but that the episode where Edie dies, sorry to anyone who hasn't watched it, oh, yeah. is Ooh. truly one of the best episodes oh, in the whole it's series. Great. It's great. You're truly one of the best. I, I love her so much. You remember the episode that's about the handyman? The handyman that like Mr. 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 Uh Stu- Mr. Stubbs, Mr. It's Mr. Scruggs, Scruggs, Scruggs. That's his oh, name, Mr. Scruggs. Oh I my God. Cried. I cried. Yes. Oh yeah, no, Desperate yes. Housewives was, and what else was interesting, I was like, this is a soap opera, soap opera. wow, that's crazy. 
But then I ended up Googling Desperate Housewives plus Emmys. Cause I was like, I remember this show. I was young when it was on the air. I, I was like, I remember the show being a phenomenon. I remember mm-hmm. it coming on. I remember the theme song and my mom being like, go to bed. Like it's the adult yeah. now. <laughs> me too. My um, mom wouldn't let me watch it. I'm like, mom, yeah. let me watch this cool show. Oh yeah. And I was so happy texting my mom. Mom, I'm watching Desperate Housewives. Like <laughs> I mean, I my mom hates it that it's one of my favorite shows now because they tried so hard to keep me from watching it. Uh, it's also like, it's like, it's not that racy, but I guess it really kids. isn't, especially past the first season. The first season was a little racier with the, with her, uh, with Gabriella's uh, affair with John. Yes. But once that ended, it really was not racy at all. Oh yeah. And I think also like, cause when I was like Googling for some context, I was like, what mm-hmm. was the world like back then? Um, all of the promo shoots for Desperate Housewives were really sexy. Like the Vanity Fair spread. Yeah. And they, I saw in these pics, like they always had Brie posing like with a whip, like as if the dominatrix. But in the show, she doesn't even get into that. And I- No, not at all. Not ever. Like, I think there's like once maybe that she like, pulls out a box you don't really even see what's in the box but you just like hear some stuff jingle in it yeah. you're like oh that's her sex stuff but that's yeah. about it mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's 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 not that bad it's really a truly wonderful show yeah. and i also like i mean i don't know how long i'm talking about Jessica housewives but in the last the second to last season they have the character Catherine who moves on to the lane Okay, and, I hate Catherine so much. Yeah, I was only in like to the point where that actress that actress was on another show called like Body of Proof or something like that, and I could not watch it because I hate that character so much. Oh my god, that's how I feel about whenever I see Nate Jacobs from Euphoria. <laughs> I'm like, I don't trust that guy. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it just it's. It shows that they're great, great actors, but just like, God damn, I hate Catherine. Anyway, yeah. sorry, what were you saying about Catherine? Well, so I was invested in Catherine because I knew that she eventually had a lesbian plotline. Yes. But oh my God, they paint lesbianism as like this illicit, dirty thing. Like because Catherine's lesbian love interest is a stripper who moves mm-hmm. on to the lane And of course, she's a stripper. She's not a sex worker. She's not a dancer. She's a stripper. And she like has these like push up bras and like she's a lesbian. And isn't that crazy? Like that was definitely a sign of the times. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, in one of the first. Well, and a sign of the fact that a a gay man wrote it instead of having a full panel of queer people writing it. Oh, true. But in one of the first episodes. Um, when Gabrielle is conducting her affair with John and Carlos thinks she's conducting the affair with the cable guy, he goes to the cable guy's house and is like, get your hands off my wife. Like, how dare you? And then he looks around and there are like musical posters on the wall. And he's like, oh my God, are you gay? And it's a hate crime. And it's a hate crime. But then I believe it's that same character or possibly a different one who is accused of stealing and he says i'm not a thief i'm just gay (laughs) (laughs) and i was like wow they literally put on paper i'm not yeah bad thing i'm actually this slightly lesser bad (laughs) like 
But it, I mean, but yeah, again, it was it was when it, it when it aired, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, I I don't know. It's like my two favorite shows, Housewives and Ugly Betty, and both of them are so wonderfully written and have such like strong women characters. But there's that like one thing that's just like mm, like the the gay stereotypes in Desperate Housewives or the use of the T word in Ugly Betty, the like the entire way through. It's just every other word really? is the T word. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, to be fair, they were like trying to be inclusive at the time, mm-hmm. but it definitely missed the mark. <laughs> Pause for one sec. I yes. I hear my roommate coming in, and I don't want you okay. to say something that's going to be loud and hi, Sheen. Um, that's totally fine. Um. Oh yeah, and like there are just it just there are some things that don't age well, and I think yeah. also I don't think there's anything wrong with us for enjoying that media that has some things that we're like, ooh, you know. As long as we pair it with an understanding of why they're cringy and why they don't work, like mm-hmm. one of my favorite movies is Holiday Inn. Uh, this is, I mean, this is again rounding off from from our earlier conversation. Uh, but one of my favorite movies is Holiday Inn. And when I was a little kid watching it, I didn't see anything wrong with any of the scenes. And watching it now, there's an entire 10 minute portion where they're in blackface. And I was like, really? how did I miss that the first time? Mm-hmm. And so like watching it now, I'm like, I feel bad watching it. But at the same time, I'm like, okay, this is history. Uh, I I now understand that this is bad and compare it with my my knowledge and ability to explain why it's incorrect to people mm-hmm. but it definitely does uh taint those things that we love so much uh, i don't think i know that movie holiday inn it was uh so it was an irving berlin movie musical that uh it was where the song white christmas was written for it the song easter parade was written for it um, oh the song that is done in blackface is the Lincoln's birthday song. Um, oh God. Cause that's beautifully ironic. Um, but it, all of the songs in it are so iconic. And that movie isn't because all of those songs then were turned into their own movies. So everyone knows the like later movie version and not the original. Oh but yeah. yeah it's, uh, it's being I... Crosby and Fred Astaire. Okay, because I know White Christmas. Uh-huh. I know that movie. Um, okay. I mean, if you haven't watched it, it's well worth... I mean, White Christmas has a full-on minstrel scene in it. So, like, the 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 minstrel show. I'd rather see a minstrel show than any other song I know. Why don't I remember this? I mean, it's because we watched it in a time before we were fully aware of what it was. I watched, I watched that movie like two years ago. I mean, they don't, the white Christmas minstrel scene isn't done in blackface, but they're using all the jokes and things that would have been done in blackface. But it was like right on that cusp of when minstrel shows weren't being done anymore. So they were like, we can't do that, but we're going to talk about how much we miss them. Oh, yeek. So it's one of those things where you have to kind of like know, uh, know the history in order to like notice what's going on. Mm, okay. Okay. But yeah, 
Well, on that note, uh, where can people find you online? <laughs> um, oh my God. I wish we had a better ending note, but we've been having such a lovely long convo. It has uh, been. And I mean, it's all about, it's all about knowing who you are, knowing where you are, knowing your audience and learning how to learn and move forward. Yes, exactly. Boom. The more, you know, um, yeah, no. Uh, okay. So, um, I can be found on social media. My Instagram is Mr. M pleasure. That's M R dot M pleasure. I can be found on YouTube. If you search max pleasure, that's with three X's because I'm X X extra. And, um, what else? I'm also on TikTok, Mr. Max pleasure. Follow me on there. If you want, maybe be a voice of reason in my TikTok comments. (laughs) (laughs) a kind word that would be nice I can also be found on Twitter Mr. Max Pleasure as well amazing well thank you so very much for taking the time to sit and talk to me it's been a complete pleasure and I've really enjoyed talking to you yes I this was so fun I we also we never we I have we ever sat and talked besides I don't think so I don't think so. We need to do yeah. it more. We absolutely should because I have so much yeah. more to say about Desperate Housewives. <laughs> Let's just start a podcast about Desperate Housewives. <laughs> I'm down. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> all right. And we will yeah. talk to you all later. Bye. Bye. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Yeah But with Vivian Gabor. Tune in next week. Same place, same time. Yeah.